This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, a courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined as ever by David Hughes. Dave, how are you getting on? Uh, very good, thank you Josh, very good. And how is the wig <laughs> yeah, I was just I was just telling you before we come on, didn't I? That uh, uh my fiance she had to go with uh, a cutting it and she did an, an all right job until she got to the sideburns and then uh, she's gone well too high. No, she's gone too uh, too brave with the clippers and she's took well too much off. So uh yeah, we had a had a little bit of a barney over that and then uh, <laughs> um yeah and then but to be fair, look it looks better and you know, we're, we're getting a little bit closer, so hopefully that'll see me through now until until everything opens up again, which is on the horizon. I see you're still uh, battling on, yeah? I'm hanging on till the end, but um, mine's starting to look a little bit like the roof of a house now, to be honest. <laughs> it's starting to keep me warm. <laughs> uh, but Just in time for the sun as well. I'm not sure that's worked out too well, has it? Exactly, exactly. We're yeah. doing a hair update today anyway because... It's a good day. We are recording the day after Liverpool last played and it's the first time Liverpool have experienced a win in the Premier League in exactly a month, uh, which is strange for the current times, strange for the current Liverpool team. So we're going to talk about what happened at Sheffield United. We're going to preview this week's big game against Chelsea, massive game. And then we've got Fulham on the weekend. So that's on the agenda for today. We will get straight into it. Um, so in terms of Sheffield United, Dave, I don't know about you, but it it was a little bit different to what I expected. I I thought it would be a lot tighter than it actually was. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's one of them, isn't it? Where two 0 looks like a an easy enough win, but not particularly dominant. But if we look at the underlying numbers, which I'm, I'm sure you'll probably reel off very shortly, uh, it was it was really dominant. I think on another day, uh, maybe with better finishing slash a less of a standout performance from from uh, Ramsdale and goal. I think you know that could have been a four or five niller. Uh, I thought the pool were really comfortable, um, creating some good stuff. I think obviously well, they made some subtle adjustments, didn't they, to how they played, and uh, I think that worked quite well. Uh, but yeah, it's a I mean, it's not them, is it? You would have been so disappointed and concerned if you wouldn't have won this game, I think. Um, but they did, and they and they done so in a in an impressive manner. So you you can't really can't really complain, can you? I think it's a it's a good away win, uh, and just what the doctor doctor ordered, really, given the uh, the recent struggles of Liverpool had. Yeah, I mean, coming up against this team, I, I know the bottom of the league clearly having a bad time. But I still expected a very tight game. I expected, you know, narrow pitch, back five. Difficult to progress through the thirds. Particularly difficult to penetrate the box. And it just wasn't. I think from from the off, really, Liverpool had the better run of the play throughout. Um, Consistently, every now and then, generated decent opportunities against uh, Sheffield United. I've just checked the shot map now for the first time, actually, Dave, and... I don't know if you want to have a quick look on understats, Ari, but it's it's ideal. It's absolutely what you want. You know, most of Liverpool's shots, with the exception of maybe two, are outside the box, and that's from a total of, according to understat, Liverpool had sixteen shots, only two outside the box, 
mm. two of them, in fact, no, three of them were inside the six-yard box. Obviously, Salas, which was saved, and a Curtis Jones effort, which was saved, apparently. Oh, yeah, I remember that one, yeah. Um, but Liverpool just generally had a really dominant game, I thought, and not just a dominant game whereby they see all of the ball, but as I'm getting to, obviously, uh, you know, a crucially dominant game in terms of generating real attack and openings that are likely to be scored um, while restricting the opposition to the opposite at the opposite end. Yeah. I think Liverpool have certain, you touched on Salah's shot there, but Liverpool have real issues, I think, creating not only clinical chances, but, you know, ch- chances in that six-yard area, you know, where it's a lot easier to convert, convert and... Um, I think creating shots in the six-yard box is representative of, of good chances. You know, I know that seems really basic to say, uh, and there's a lot more moving parts than that. But when you're looking at things like shot maps, uh, you know, after the game, I think if there's if there's chances being created in that area, then you can you could assume even without watching the game that you know the good good chances have been get created. And I think if you were to look over the pool shot maps across the past few weeks. A lot of the season, actually. Um, I remember a statistic doing the rounds maybe a week or two ago that Salah hadn't had many, if any, shots inside the six-yard box this season, which I thought was a bit, uh, well, it was a bit of a surprise. Does that ring a bell to you? Does it, Josh? To be honest, mate, I was I was just looking at that now. Um, oh yeah, because it it did ring a bell in my head when I said that to you, and I'm just checking now. And all season in the Premier League, Salah has taken three shots. Inside the six-yard box, mm. two came against Sheffield United last night, yeah. and one, what the other one came a week ago against Everton in yeah, the side derby. I knew I can't remember where that where that seen it from or whether I'd even come across it myself. As I said, it was a couple of weeks ago now, but I remember being quite taken back by that and thinking that was quite representative of. Now, a little bit from the pool point of view, quite disappointing. Um, so to for the pool to be creating two. Actually, three inside the six-yard boxes in itself a story, and, and gives you an indication of of you know how much better they were in terms of breaking Sheffield United down. And I, I, look, I agree, bottom of the league. And I said you'd be really disappointed if you didn't beat them. You know, but there'd be more questions. But you touched on it that there's still not a, a pushover. Um, you know, we we said on the pre-show last week that. They've probably been a little bit unlucky to be on 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 par with that kind of derby team of you know the late noughties points wise. I think they have been a little bit unlucky with like personal errors and things, and so it wasn't going to be a, a walk in the park. But Liverpool did make it look like that, and much improved performance to go with the win. Yeah, I mean it's it's thankfully captured in the numbers, which hasn't really been the case lately for Liverpool. Um, Liverpool have, have established dominance lately, but not necessarily when it comes to specifically the expected goals because we've been giving away the odd clear because open that registers as a big shot, and as a result, the XG the the opposition takes a bit of a boost. But in this game, uh, the expected goals Liverpool posted two point seven, and Sheffield United posted just zero point six. So that's really you know a three nil win. Really, um, I must admit I was a, a bit on edge in the first half when Liverpool yet again hadn't converted, and um, you know we were up against Adam Ramsdale, who I actually checked the half time for the, what he was like for the season. So far this season, he's um, he had underperformed when I checked 
by about 2.6 goals this season, uh, which essentially means that, you know, that's according to post-shot expected goals. So that's, that essentially means that if they had a bang average goalkeeper in the, between the sticks, that have conceded roughly 2.6 goals fewer than they actually have, which doesn't seem like much. But in comparison to the rest of the league and the way those numbers tend to work, it's, you know, it's a fair amount. Um, yeah. I thought he, I thought that the first half, to be honest, I thought it was a mixture of of him making good saves, but Liverpool also not really finishing to a high level in terms of, you know, that that age old cliche of finding the corners sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I feel like uh, you know, there's been a lot of debates that I've actively avoided getting involved in about finishing over the last few weeks in, in the kind of Twitter world and, you know, the Swiss analytics world. And it feels like a few influential voices have kind of made out that finishing isn't really an art and it's 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 a lot of kind of luck and, you know, players go through hot and cold streaks. That latter point I agree with. But I do definitely think that, you know, finishing is, is something that... Um, some players are better than others are. Um, and, you know, we talk about Firmino, who's historically based on his underlying numbers, being quite an average finisher. You know, he's... In fact, we may talk about this last week, Josh, saying it, there's a bit of a cold spell for him and, and Mane. But, yeah, that chance that he had about on the half-hour mark, was it? Oh, no, I think it was a lot early, actually, uh, where he runs through and on goal. And Ramsdale does make a good save. But I think if you, if you watch it back... You know, where he's kind of put it, he's basically just put it above the keeper in a position where he can just out, you know, push his arm out and, and obviously pull off that save. And you've just touched on corners there, putting it in the corners. That's what I think you're going to see a little bit more of. And uh, and for that reason, it's why I said that it was a, it was not only a good performance that kept it the scoreline it is from the keeper, but I also think there was just a little bit of too much loose finishing and, you know, just not being accurate, accurate enough, frankly. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. What do you actually make on, on the whole Firmino thing? I mean, we haven't touched on it that much of late. But he's certainly, I think the criticism has certainly taken a little bit of a boost lately. I think he was always going to be that player anyway. He was always going to be the player who, you know, if the attack isn't working, people will always revert back to the we need a striker, we need a traditional number nine. That's always going to be the case, it always was the case. But I do think there's I do think there's an element of truth now in the the, the decline sort of happening a little bit um, in terms of his all-round game and that sort of stuff, and particularly his finishing. Like you mentioned there, that might be a bit of a cold spell for him. I'm actually just inclined to think he's, at best, an average finisher. Um, he's certainly not above average. I think he's underperformed now for about two seasons. I'll double check that in a sec. But what's your general take on on Firmino? Yeah, I mean that that's basically. It. I think uh, even historically, if you if you look at the numbers, which maybe you haven't looked now, I think he, from what I've seen, he, he does look to be on the whole a fairly average finisher. Um, which you you know you can kind of account for because of what he brought to other aspects of the game, specifically his role kind of in the team over the past three years or so. Um, but, you know, it's it, underperformed is so much more noticeable when you're already an average player. Like, I feel like if, if Salah went from overperforming to, to performing at an average, at an average level, um, 
you know, it, it wouldn't feel that extreme because he'd still probably be converting the chances you'd expect. Whereas it does feel like Firmino's kind of really wasteful of, of things you just expect the top forwards in a Liverpool side to score. Um, and, uh, you know, this isn't a kind of re- reactionary response, I think, because I'm sure, you know, regular listeners can probably go back to various episodes over the last 18 months where we've been quite supportive of Firmino because we looked at it from the bigger picture. Uh, he still scores biggest goals uh, and he still brings a lot to the team. But we're now looking at, certainly this season in the last um maybe even been the season before where there's there is a notable underperformance um where he, he's just not converting at a, at a rate you'd expect from a Liverpool forward and I think there's only so many times you can make excuses now and not just that by the way we're not just looking at numbers I think watching the game you see these chances yourself and you know we know that there can be a little bit of bias in your own kind of cognitive analysis when you're watching a game I understand that but when you when you're seeing things and thinking he probably should convert that, and then the underlying numbers are reaffirming that theory, then chances are you probably you know you're probably close to being right. I mean, over the course of the past three seasons, he has actually underperformed each season. Um, so this season he's currently this is excluding penalties, um, even though he's only taken two in the past four seasons. But excluding penalties this season. He's underperformed by 4.5 goals last season. Underperformed by 4.5 goals. Season before, underperformed by 1.5. And the season before, overperformed by 3.7. Um, so, it's it, you know, it depends how you're looking at that, really. But I think specifically over the course of the past three seasons, he's underperformed there by about 10 goals. You know, and that's that an average finisher scores 10 goals more than Firmino over the course of that three-season period. And that, that's Premier League, Premier League only, by the way. Um, but I just think that's that, that, for me, along with clearly what we're witnessing with our eyes, is enough for me to suggest that he probably is not the greatest finisher. You know, it's it's, it's quite obvious, I think. Um, but despite that, you know, when it's, it's obviously less of a problem when Liverpool find other ways to find the net. And one of the players who found the net played a open the score I thought was particularly good on the day. I've just wrote about him, tweeted about him, and there'll be a piece going up on on the Echo from myself on him. Uh, Curtis Jones, Dave, we've, we've mentioned him in the past on this podcast, but I think he's uh, he's coming into his own and he's uh, he, he's establishing himself now to the extent that you know Naby Keita's returned fitness, James Milner's returned fitness, Fabinho is now in the background lurking, and you could argue Jones Jones doesn't come out. No, not for me. Uh, I was a little bit surprised, you know, a month or two ago. It felt like he was getting um, getting written off a little bit in parts. Obviously, I haven't got my finger on the pulse with Liverpool fans as, as many as others. But, um, no, I've, I've for a long time thought he looks a really good player and he looks like someone who comes in and, you know, really impacts the team positively when he's on the pitch. I guess on Sunday, you'd say he was kind of that penetrator from the middle that, you know... I don't. I think Liverpool can sometimes lack from midfield, uh, pushing up into good advanced areas. Worked really well, and obviously scored a, a really good goal. When, when you know, we've just been harping on about a lack of clinical edge and being a little bit wasteful in front of goal, and then he scores a you know a really good one, um, which is what you need in those moments. I think. So yeah, he's doing really well. Uh, play I I really like, and yeah, he's gone beyond kind of being this 
player that you're rooting for because he's homegrown, he's young and he's come through the academy and now you start, you know, taking on his credentials a little bit more serious as well. You know, we play who, who warrants being in the side because of what, what he brings to the team and, and certainly on on uh, last night's game, obviously we're recording on Monday, last night's game against Sheffield United, I thought he was, uh, he was one of the best performers. I must admit, I am excited by him. I think he's a he's a big talent. He's he's got a lot of things on his side, a lot of things that you want from um, a midfielder in the modern game, but specifically a club type midfielder. No, very very physical. Um, I think he's over six foot, but he's also clearly very mobile, very aggressive, pro- proactive, dynamic on the ball and stuff. Um, he's kind of got a bit of, I think. Gerard about him in that way, I think. I think it's, do you know what? I think generally this is probably, you know, a bit difficult to understand f- for some, but I think it's, I think it's kind of a Liverpool scouse trait, personally. Um, if you look at the, the players that have came out of Liverpool, you know, Jamie Carragher, Wayne Rooney, Stephen Gerrard, even the likes of like, you know, a, a bit lower down, players like Joey Barton and players like that. Players from Liverpool, they, they do tend to be kind of um, just a bit intuitive, a bit more dynamic than, let's say, your average player. And I think Jones has got that about him. I think he seems to be inclined. Trent is another one. I think there's been plenty of times where Trent has kind of grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck and he's been doing that a bit more lately. And I think Jones, in particular, has been doing that a little bit. And he's you know, clearly inclined to carry the ball and stuff. And I think you felt his impact. Last night, you, you felt his influence on the game. Yeah, I agree with that point. I do think there's a. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really conscious of not sounding too biased to, to the city that we're from here because, although obviously yeah. it's a Liverpool podcast, I think you know there's people from all over listening. I don't want to give the wrong impression, but you know there is certainly and growing up in this city playing football, it's it's really ultra competitive, isn't it? The games you have, uh, and it's. Is very kind of you know you 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 do a lot you don't like to lose you you impact any every part of the game you can it's not really you kind of come through and you just well this is my but this is this position I play well this is what I'm good at you do kind of and I think there's even at amateur level you know try and fill in in so many different ways and uh, I think Jones does capture that and you know there is loads of examples of players coming through from Liverpool who uh, who's just got that. Maybe not the same skill set because I think Jones is right up there. So is the likes of Gerrards and Rooney's and stuff. But maybe just it's a mindset thing. And I think if you look at a lot of players who've kind of grown up and come through the academies in this city, they do have that kind of extra edge to the game a little bit. Um, just, you know, I think that's an accurate observation. If you really look into it, you'll you probably see what we mean. Yeah, I just think he's... Uh... He just excites me as a player. I think what he, what he could become. He's obviously obviously only twenty years old, academy graduate. Clearly quite versatile. And um, to be honest, I referenced I referenced Kater before. He, he reminds me a little bit of Kater. Some some of the skills attached to his to his game. Like one of the visits that I tweeted this morning was his his tendency to to carry the ball. Um, you know he's. He, He's inclined to get get on the ball and basically move his team up the field, which sounds very basic, but it's it's not that much of a common trait. Um, no, no, it's not. I, I actually got up the the, the top twenty five for central midfielders in the league this season. Um, 
minimum 1,000 minutes played. And Jones currently ranks second um, for progressive caddies per 90. For perspective, that is a caddy that moves the ball towards the opponent's goal by at least five yards or any caddy into the penalty box, um, excluding caddies from the defending 40% of the pitch. As I said, Jones ranks second, one behind um, Bernardo Silva, who you could argue isn't really a centre midfielder. I mean, he's played 900 of his minutes this season as a centre midfielder. I think he's played in total about 1,400 or so. Um, so he has been playing in centre midfield this season. In third yeah. place, there's Mateo Kovacic and then Danny Ceballos and then Kevin De Bruyne. So, you know, it's, it's not to suggest that Jones is as good as those players, but when it comes to carrying, when it comes to carrying the ball, he's obviously just as inclined to do it as those players, if not more inclined. And I think, um, you know, when it comes to, you mentioned the game plan there, mixing it up. I think when it comes to the game plan that Liverpool employed, Jones was quite an integral part of it, you know, specifically as Liverpool moved up the field. The f- we seemed to form some some sort of like a front five, really. Hence, we were able to advance in their finals there quite frequently, but that front five obviously involved Salah, Firmino, Mane, but then it also involved Robertson and Jones, and then providing a bit more protection behind was, was Trent, Thiago and Wijnaldum, but... I thought it worked really nicely. I'm not sure if we'll we'll see it moving forward, considering it felt like a bit of a deliberate ploy for a defensive back five system. But um, yeah, Jones was quite integral to it, and uh, you know I liked the way it worked. Yeah, I agree. It uh, thought it worked really well, and just mentioned it there, Trent. You know, he, he had a really good, really good game. Uh, thought it was dead interesting. That he, I'd look at this before he had his, uh, from what I could see, his most uh, touches in the. Defensive third for the whole season, um, but it did kind of feel like he was playing a more deeper role with with it, all the play ahead of him. Um, and you know, people kind of always talk about him as you know a midfield option. Well, you know, you feel like you got a glimpse into it in the game on on Sunday. You know, and he, uh, I think it, it suited them really well. You know, kind of dictating things a little bit from deeper, playing almost like as you said, like a midfield three behind that five, and then. But Phil, you know, having that option to make some overlapping runs as and, as and when the, the opportunities present, presented themselves. So, yeah, I thought it worked really well. And did say last week that Sheffield United could have been a really good, not trial game, because that seems really disrespectful to them. Um, ultimately, it's still a Premier League game and a tough one. But, you know, it, uh, almost as good as you'll get in terms of trying something a little bit new in this division. Maybe this was an example of it. And, and you'd say it works. And, and now there's... There's another option for Klopp going into similar games in the future, um, which combats that point we were saying last week where things sometimes have felt a little bit too uh, predictable. Yeah, I mean, just before we move on to Chelsea, I just want to give a shout towards Trent because I thought, again, last night I thought he was great. I think lately he's been a lot better. Maybe he hasn't got the goals or the assists yet to go with them, but I think his performances have been a lot more impactful, really. I think he's had a lot more of a say on proceedings, which is which bodes well moving forward for the final stretch. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Just before we touch on Chelsea, Dave, um, any general thoughts on on the Phillips Kabach partnership and um, you know whether you'd keep it moving forward, how it worked. 
I've got my much choice. <laughs> it's uh, hands are tired a little bit. Yeah, no, look, it seemed okay. Um, I think it's it's integral now that Liverpool get a partnership in place. Um, you know, whether you don't, whether you consider as individuals the two of the best uh, is up for debate. You know, because there's obviously uh, Ben Davis sitting there waiting in the wings. But I think it's just integral that. Uh, after so, so much chop and change and so far this season that there's a partnership in place and you know on paper yeah that might not be a title win the centre back pairing but you could probably make a case for saying you know with the potential they have it could easily be like a you know a top eight for example being being conservative top eight partnership and you know the, the class that Liverpool have got on in other areas of the pitch. You know, it, it, it may you may lose one or two goals as a result of them, but it should do a fairly steady job like it did on Sunday. Yeah, I think it's one of them. Like you, you, you need to kind of accept. I think. I think although Fabinho come back, um, you know, there's a temptation there to to switch it back again and and to put Fabinho alongside, say, Kabach maybe. But I, I think. If Klopp, Klopp's been searching for this consistency, I mentioned this last week, Klopp's been searching for a consistent back four and he's he's been doing it through using midfielders and, and players like that. But I think if he's going to establish that before the end of the season, he needs to kind of use two centre-backs. I think I thought it was amazing, by the way. I saw the stat that said it's the first time in the Premier League that Liverpool have played with two actual centre-backs since November, which is um, quite incredible, really. But I think moving forward, I would just, I think I'd stick with Phillips and Kabak, although there's clear limitations there. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's worth just sticking with them because any other consistency clearly isn't happening. Other players need to be brought back more slowly. Phillips hasn't been injured all season, Kabak hasn't. So I think that it's worth just keeping him in the team, really, moving forward. Yeah. Um, having said that, Thursday's test will be a lot trickier for them to navigate compared to Sheffield United. So, general thoughts, Dave, on the impact of Thomas Tuchel? Um, it's tough because, you know, the results have been good. I, I still think he's undefeated. Uh, I think there's a clear philosophy in that, the, you know, they're dominating the ball. Uh, I think they're restricting teams to very few chances. You know, United are a dangerous team in that game on Sunday. They, they didn't really, um, you know, they didn't really see too many high quality chances that being said it feels like those two first thirds they're doing okay you know defensive third middle third but it just isn't really clicking so far up top um, you know no one's really you know we've talked about hot and cold before there's no one really running hot from from an attacking point of view for them uh, there's no real danger man I'd say a presence Uh and I think it shows that they haven't quite got, as a result, that fluidity up front, and they're not really creating that many chances themselves. So it's uh, mostly good, I guess, but not perfect either, if that makes sense. I think from my perspective, I've actually been really impressed. I think, you know, I do like him. I do like listening to him, especially. I think he gives really insightful answers, got a really interesting perspective on the game. And I think, Specifically, the way in which Chelsea have established control so quickly has been really, really impressive. Um, having said that, there's, the, there's obviously a massive caveat attached to that in that the opponents that they've faced have all generally been 
of a similar mould. Really, they've all kind of allowed Chelsea to to have that control without really wanting to wrestle it from them. Um, like Wolves, then Burnley, then Spurs, then Sheffield United, then Barnsley, um, then Newcastle United, and then maybe a little bit more on Southampton's side. But they were quite a few games without a win. And then Atletico Madrid, and then more recently Man United, which is a little bit different. But most of those teams will present a similar challenge to Chelsea in terms of Chelsea just having to break down a block while uh, restricting counter-attacks from materialising. Really, it's kind of been the same thing every week. Mm. I think the way in which they've approached that, as I said, has been really, really good. Um, But as you touched on it there, I think in attack, they're still finding the feet. I think they're still finding a way of working in attack. I still haven't really clicked. Um, Obviously, have you been surprised a little bit at just how much faith he's put in Hudson-Odoi so early on? A little bit, but I think he, uh, I think he's obviously got a specific profile that he wants in those wing back positions because obviously he's, he was using Alonso a fair bit as well, wasn't he? It was only Chilwell coming against United, uh, and maybe he's just seen Hudson Doy as you know someone who's a an, an attacker by trade, really, um, and he wants him there. And then Alonso, obviously Alonso's not great w- without the ball, but. He is a you know again another fairly decent attacker, so maybe that's that's where it stems from. To answer your original question, yeah, I am a little bit surprised, and I thought maybe things might were going to turn sour last week when he he, he called them out, didn't he? I think he pulled them off against might have been Southampton, um, but then he's played I think the next two games, uh, so you know obviously there isn't a big issue there. So <clears throat> yeah, I, I am a little bit surprised, but it's just. It's a little bit of a strange one, attacking wise. You know, if you if you ask me who's who's their most dangerous attacker at the moment, I uh, I couldn't really tell you. Yeah, considering I mean, all the plays they've got. Yeah, yeah. I I must admit, I, I like his usage of him at, at, as a wing back. I think it's you know I've spoke plenty of times. Maybe not so much on this podcast. Maybe more on the Analyze Everton podcast about mm. players who are clearly quite attacking by nature. But they don't offer the the output, you know, the goals and the assists, which is what you need from a player who's going to take up a forward role, you know, a position in the final third. You need that mm. output. And I think Hudson is quite clearly very attacking. But in terms of finding the net, he's not that inclined. Assists, a little bit more inclined, yeah. But I don't know. I think bringing him back a little bit into a wing back role, that allows you to bring in another attacker ahead of him who's maybe got that output to his game. And it allows Hudson Odoi to focus a bit more on, you know, dribbling, one v ones, crossing, finding a penalty box with passes, and he's good at all those things. So I actually like his usage of him. I think Tuchel's, you know, his tactical understanding of the game. He, you know, he clearly understands how to use Kante, for example. Kante's been a topic of debate for a few years, and I think Tuchel's description of him was really accurate. Same with Timo Werner. Um, so I think he's a really shrewd tactical coach, to be honest. And I thought. A few seasons ago, Liverpool faced his PSG team, came to Anfield in the Champions League group stages. And his um, his defensive approach was just really interesting because he, he quite clearly analysed Liverpool and recognised that Liverpool's main strength was a fight, really, in the middle of the pitch, second balls and all that sort of stuff. And when PSG came to Anfield, 
any time the ball was kind of lost by a PSG player, um, they just retreat into a block. There was no kind of engaging, no no battle, nothing like that, because Tuchel was well aware that they would probably lose. I mean, they did end up losing anyway, 3-2. Um, but I thought that that ability to just adjust your tactics and just kind of retreat into a block rather than engaging, I thought was really clever at the time. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what he does when he faces this Liverpool team on the weekend. Mm. Uh, sorry, on Thursday. Yeah, I don't, I don't actually expect that many changes. Um, but maybe I'm being a little bit naive with that. Um, maybe he will adjust it. I don't know. It's, uh, it, it is as you've just used the word interesting. I think it is an interesting matchup. Uh, it's a really big game as well. It's, it's kind of a game where both teams know that they need. Would you say win? Probably, yeah. Probably need a win, don't they? Um, Liverpool do. I think Chelsea do as well. Um, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting one, and it's a. It should be good for the neutral at least. Yeah, I think just a bit more on Chelsea's control that I mentioned earlier on. Their ability to control their opponents has been, for me, without doubt, the most impressive thing that Tuchel's established so early on. Um, so if you look at the expected goals that they've faced, the expected goals that they've allowed on the defensive side. So against Wolves, Wolves posted 0.4. Then Burnley posted 0.2. Spurs posted 0.3, Sheffield United 0.4, Newcastle United 0.7, Southampton 0.5, Atletico Madrid 0.5, Manchester United 0.5. That's that's impressive. They're impressive numbers, them, Dave. Yeah, yeah. You know, I touched on it. Uh, I touched on it, didn't I? At the start of the segment, it's uh, that they've done a really good job of of restricting you know shots. They've, because they've, they've obviously haven't been conceding a lot of goals, but that doesn't always, you know, tell the full picture as we know. And we'll, we'll probably touch on that before in a bit. But uh, they have been they have been conceding a lot of big chances, um, and I think it does come to that element of control. And I think they have controlled the the, the, the first two thirds really well. Uh, I think they, they're looking after the ball really well. I, I noticed that against United a few times. I think it's uh, it's all very precise and. You know, there's not because it is kind of possession orientated. They're happy to go backwards when possession's turned over. I think Kovacic is doing really well for them uh, in the middle. He's a, he's a player I like anyway, as you, as you know, because we talk both of one here. Um, and you know, the the testament to how good they've been is what you just reeled off there. The, the underlying defensive numbers. They're not a team who have seen a lot of a lot of big chances, um, which is an, an interesting kind of subplot when you think. That we just spent ten minutes at the start of the show talking about a lack of maybe a clinical edge in front of goal from a Liverpool perspective. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. They're actually yet to face any. They're yet to face over one xG in any game so far on the Google. But you know, weirdly, despite that, I I feel strangely encouraged from a Liverpool perspective when it comes to Liverpool's attack for this game. I feel more, um, maybe not excited, excited is not the word maybe, but I'm looking forward to this one from in, a, in an attacking sense more so than I was the Sheffield United game, strangely. Mm. I think maybe it's because, you know, Chelsea's tendency to, to get on the ball and build from the back 
obviously they're still learning the ropes there, even though they've taken to it quite comfortably so far. Um, but I think I, I think it probably stems from the fact that Liverpool are probably going to get some opportunities in transition in this game, and it's been that's that hasn't really been the case throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's still not. It is strange because if in those moments you're going to have people like. Uh, like they're relying on players like Aspilicueta, for example, aren't they still in defence? And I feel like that is a nice little matchup from a you know Mane versus uh, Aspilicueta point of view. Um, and you know it, it, his support would be Hudson uh, who've just been talking about, who's obviously really good going forward, um, but maybe not great on the other side of it. So it, it is. It, I I agree. I, I'm weirdly if if you. While while we're still not doing predictions as such now, if I was put on the spot, I would be back in the pool on this one. Um, and I, I, I'm not really sure why, because as I said, there's, there's, there's things to like about Chelsea. But get maybe it just comes down to the they're just not creating this fun themselves. You know, I appreciate that the the, the hard ticket score against them, they're not giving up big chances, but they're also not they're not creating many themselves. So I think. You know who's maybe going to be more dangerous in those transition periods that you just touched on there, and, and I think Liverpool are definitely better suited to to create chances when in these you know quick moments where the ball's turned over, then maybe a little bit out of shape. Yeah, I mean Allison should be back, which is a big positive. Um, the negative on that side compared to the Manchester United game, Timo Werner should be back. I know that probably a lot of supporters won't be scared of him given the season that he's had in front of the goal and stuff, but. Specifically when you're playing a high defensive line without quick centre backs, he's probably going to be a problem. And well, I think just on. sorry, mate, just just on that, what I will say is because I've seen him a fair bit. Yeah, he's not scoring, and it's it's you know it's been well publicised that he just hasn't scored the goals he's expecting to. But he's not actually playing that bad at all. You know, he does contribute, and I think his a his kind of contributions away from goals direct. Actually, quite good, you know, quite big up there. Then he uh, he does seem to bring a lot to the attack. So I think those reservations that you're alluding to there, I think there's, there's there is reasons for it because he is someone who can kind of, yeah, he might not be scoring, you know, two or three goals every week, but he's he is certainly bringing something to the attack. Yeah, I think no matter what, even when he's out of form, he's a difficult player to defend against. Just just because of his quality, you know, he's he's incredibly quick off the mark. Reminds me a little bit of Sterling in that regard. And, you know, I think he's won a fair few penalties already, and I don't think that's to do with anything to do with diving. It's just because he's, as I said, he's a, he's a difficult player to defend against, difficult mm-hmm. players to manage. And I think, to be honest, I think sometimes he plays with the shell. I think he, I think he could have even more of an impact on the game if he, if he kind of almost recognised how good he actually was. Because I think he's got really valuable qualities, and mm. you know, he's he's a top player. But sometimes I think he. You know, he goes safe with 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 a pass, maybe rather than taking on his direct opponents. And I think he he can be a lot better than he actually is. I think he's he's quite far from his potential ceiling. I think Timo Werner, mm. but I thought it was interesting that you know once getting asked about him ahead of the Manchester United game, Tuchel directly referenced the Liverpool game coming up as one of the reasons why he was benched, um, which doesn't really bode well for Liverpool's defence and. Yeah, I think he could be a tricky player to manage in behind. I wouldn't mm. be surprised if if Tuchel played them through the middle. To be honest, given Liverpool's two centre backs. Mm. Um, yeah, but yeah. Before we move on to Fulham, 
I'll let you get to that preview, Dave, that you just mentioned. Uh, the, sorry, prediction. Prediction. Um, yeah, weirdly, as I said, I think uh, I'm just back in Liverpool on this one. I don't know why, and this is really unfair, and this is not anything uh, kind of based on analysis, but, you know, there's still a place for good feelings. I can just kind of see a, a Leicester scenario playing out, you know, from the game early in the year, where it's just... Liverpool just play really well. Um, so I'm going to go 2 0 Liverpool. Okay, that's nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I think I'm going to go a Liverpool win. Um, I really, really like Chelsea. I like Evan. I like a lot about what I'm saying. Um, but their attack does seem a little bit still in the ropes. It's, it's obviously at Anfield, which should be a positive. And. I think Liverpool have a number of attacking weapons now available. Abby Kate is obviously available to play. Kate Jones is in a bit of form, offering a bit of threat from midfield. And hopefully Diego Jota will be on the bench. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm going to go 2-1 Liverpool, I think. Um, really important game and hopefully it'll kickstart a positive end to the campaign because we really need Champions League football. Mm-hmm. Um, and just finally, touch on Fulham, who I must admit... They've probably, I don't think I've seen any team, any Premier League team, certainly newly promoted team, go from so bad to competitive in the same half season. Um, you know, fair play, Scott Parker. Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I was going to say they've low key massively improved. One, one defeat it is in eight league matches. Um, They've hardly conceded goals. It's the fifth fewest since the turn of the year. You've conceded about, I think it's nine. Um, although I did have look into it, and in terms of uh, XG against, you know, the 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 quite up there. You know, the one of the sides up there in that period. Um, I think in a negative way. Yeah, yeah, they're about they're yeah. about fourteen plus uh, in XG against. So. You know, it, it, they've probably benefited a little bit by maybe some good fortune or some good um, displays from the keeper. You know, the, the usual things that can impact that. But it's just despite that, you know, the underlying numbers are saying they've improved um, in other areas. And, you know, I watched them at, uh, against Everton a few weeks ago. And although I thought Everton were really uh, below par on the day, I thought they played really well. Some really good football and They've actually got some. And when you look at their team now, there's some there's some really good players that they they look an exciting team. And yeah. they've got uh, and who we've talked about on here. Look, Luckman, Loftus Cheek. Um, they brought in Marja, didn't they? Is it or Marja? Yeah, in the uh, in January window. Uh, you know, they got Tete, who I, I thought could have been played that higher for the bigger club. You know, when they brought him in the summer, uh, they got some really good players. Yeah, they have. They've got nice fullbacks. Um, mm. I think Ola Aina is maybe how you say it. used to be yeah. at Chelsea. Might even be on loan, I'm not sure. Um, but he's a difficult player to deal with. I think he actually went off injured uh, on the weekend. Um, Andy Robertson as well. Uh, Robinson, good player. Obviously, I've mentioned Joe Bryan on this podcast plenty of times. I think he's coming towards the end now, maybe a full. Um, but I think he was you know, a good player and stuff. And Obviously, you've just mentioned Dan Giesa there and the, the quite quick forwards, tricky forwards that they've got in attack. Uh, you mentioned there since Christmas. I've just got it up then. So, sin- sorry, since the 1st of January, um, they've played 10 times, 
most teams have played ten times. Fulham have played eleven, sorry. Um twelve points since then, which places them about thirteenth. Um and in defence they've overperformed by about five or six goals. But in attack they've underperformed by about three to four goals. So I think it kind of sums up how they've transformed a little bit. They've certainly transformed on the defensive side. I think Ariola's had a good season, overperforming and stuff like that. Uh, Anderson in the centre back was linked with Man United a few years ago. I remember writing about him at the time for the MEN. Mm. Uh, Tosin as well, I think it looked really good. Uh, I think they got in from Manchester City. Looked mm. really relaxed, really calm on the ball, a bit of a leader and stuff. Um, and then up front, as I said, they got quick forwards, but one issue was being putting the ball in the back of the net. And then, you know, to address that, I suppose, they signed Josh Madges. So I, I've been really impressed with how they've turned things around. And they deserve credit for it. And I actually hope they stay up. I actually hope yeah, so Newcastle go down ahead of them, to be honest. Um, not against Newcastle fans, great club and stuff, but the way Newcastle have been run as a club for a few years, just depressing, that's, especially from a performance perspective, Dave. You know, we have to look into the numbers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's they did. It's they've been, they've been, yeah, they've been rubbish for years. Well, the last couple of years, they don't really. I think they should have went down last year, to be honest, but they didn't. And they look like they were can't hold on again. But you know, we can only look at it from a neutral point of view. And I'd much rather watch Fulham than than watch a Newcastle game. You know, you know what you're going to get with Newcastle. It's miserable. Um, you know, with Fulham, I think there's a little bit of excitement in there. So, yeah, I agree. I, I hope they. Obviously, no, no Liverpool fans will be open to get points this weekend. But you know, I hope they pick up a, a good few between now and the end of the year and uh, the stable. Yeah, obviously, still competing. They're still actually in the the relegation zone. Um, and they seem to draw an awful lot of games. They, they draw a lot of games, and that's that's because of the they're able to keep it relatively tight at one end, but then at the other end, uh, not so much. They've actually drawn. Sorry, not so much in terms of putting the ball in the net. Um, they've actually drawn eleven games, which is the joint most. Uh, which which says Everton. I suppose we know all about Brighton, don't we? So mm. it's going to be an interesting game. I think that in a way, the little bit of a mini version of Liverpool at the moment in terms of playing good football, keeping things relatively tight at the defensive side, while allowing the odd little big moments, I suppose, and then up front generally being quite good, but not putting the ball in the back of the net. So. Um, and obviously, they performed really well against Liverpool early in the season. Um, I think Liverpool managed to get a 1-1 that day, but for the first half an hour, we got outplayed, really, by Fulham, mm. to be honest. Mm. Um, it, yeah. yeah, so, predictions ahead of this one, Dave. I don't think it's going to be as easy as the table suggests. No, not a tough game. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm following on from an expected win against Chelsea. Um, so, I've, I've got to back Liverpool again. <laughs> Uh, but I, I actually fancy Fulham to score. Um, don't know why I just do. You know, I think uh, I said that. I know you've talked touched on the underperforms, but I still think they've got some good attackers up there. Um, be a problem for any defence, especially a makeshift one. So I'm going to go two one Liverpool. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree too much with that. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be tight. I don't think it's going to be too much of an enjoyable game. Could be wrong. I mean, Fulham are inclined to play football, and that does tend to. Offer opportunities for Liverpool. Hopefully, we don't give them an early lead this time like we did last time, and we can maybe pick them off one score in the opening goal. But I think I'm going to say two 0 uh, As I said, I think Fulham are really good, but hopefully Liverpool are now starting to run a form with 
a few additional attacking options now in, in Naby Keita and Diogo Jota, Keita Jones coming into form and things. So hopefully Liverpool can now start establishing a degree of consistency and it starts with Sheffield United. Hopefully it can continue against Chelsea and Fulham. Um, and we'll be back next week to, to talk about what lies ahead. Uh, so Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Yeah, thank you, mate. Cheers, everyone. And we'll be back next week. Cheers. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.